we start today's episode, just to let you know, you can now nominate for the 2025 Northern Power Women Awards. To be in with a chance of celebrating with changemakers, trailblazers and advocates on the 6th of March 2025. Nominate now at wearepower.net. Women podcast for your career and your life, no matter what business you're in. Hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of this level up season of the Northern Power Women podcast. This season has been all about our community of Northern Power Women from across all of our regions, our sectors, genders, and how they've been cracking on to level up. We've been sharing stories, tips, tricks, wisdom, takeaways, and more from those who are leveling up from the North, accelerating gender equality and social mobility as they go. Last year, we published our leveling up report by powering on with three key asks, give us seats at the table, invest in female and black, Asian and minority ethnic led businesses and invest in our future talent. A year on, we've seen great progress on these asks and it's now time to report back on what we've achieved. But we want to hear from you. How have you been levelling up? How have you enabled levelling up to happen? If you click the link in the show notes, you can fill in the survey and be part of our progress report taking part next month. My guest today is no stranger to having awards, honours and recognitions and is none other than the Chief Exec and Principal of the Northern School of Contemporary Dance, Sharon Watson, MBE, who got her honour only in the Queen's uh, New Year's Honours earlier this year for services to dance. Sharon was the longest standing artistic director of Phoenix Dance Theatre and her company began when she was one of the first female principal dancers invited to join the all-male award-winning company. Having left Phoenix to pursue a number of other ventures, including setting up her own company, ABCD, Sharon returned in 2009 as the new artistic director. Sharon's choreographed numerous works for the company, including the celebrated Windrush Movement of the People and Blackwaters. She received the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts Companionship Award from Sir Paul McCartney, no less, and obviously held in equal esteem, became part of the Northern Power Women Power List in 2017. Sharon is massively committed to improving diversity within the arts by supporting the creative voices of women and black artists. Welcome to the podcast, Sharon. Thank you. Nice to be here. And I also found out as well, we talk about seats at the table and levelling up, but also found out you've been made a deputy lieutenant as well. <laughs> that was quite a surprise. When do you get the time? <laughs> What's really interesting, actually, under COVID, I've had time to actually understand what they do, <laughs> as opposed to learning on the job, which is what would have ordinarily happened. I would have been given a body and off you go. But I've had time to just have the conversations, which is wonderful. Oh, it's brilliant. So let's start with what drove you to get into dance as a young woman in the North? It wasn't actually an option to start with because it was on the school curriculum. And I guess the insight of a a forward thinking PE teacher had this on the curriculum for the students. And in my first lesson, I was smitten. I just knew I went home after my first class and said to my mom and dad, at 16, I'm going to London. And they said, we'll talk about it when you're older. That was at (laughs) nine years old. And the rest is history, really. And who are your role models, Sharon? Who were your role models at that time? You talked about your teacher there. Yeah, it was definitely Nadine Senior. 
And I mean, I guess at the time, understanding also my sister who went off to be a nurse, knowing that education and development happened outside of the home in that sense. Um, so there was an example for me to follow, but Nadine Senior was absolutely instrumental. And actually she she's known to me as my second mom. So she managed to, she took me to London, got my grant, sorted us all out, got the flat in London and just all of the things that you would expect your parents perhaps to do, it was done by Nadine Senior. She just understood how it worked. And I think that's what, you know, real role models are about enabling things to happen, aren't they? Enabling. It's not just a case of showing you the way. It's it's the basics of, like you say, getting that grant, getting that, you know, getting you sorted. Yeah, it's it's wonderful. And I think, you know, although I say my mum my mom was my backbone, what was really important is my mum didn't necessarily understand what that world meant. But because she felt that it was important for her and her children to to experience new works, new life, new this all of those things, she was it was with her blessing. So, you know, thank goodness the two things actually gelled because it could be a very different story that I'd be sitting here talking about. But it it worked incredibly well. And also my my older sister was part of that process. So she also left Leeds at the same time. Wow. So we talked about, you know, again, role models and really that visibility. So the world famous ballerina uh, Misty Copeland was the first black principal dancer in the American ballet theatre's history. She didn't see herself represented on stage at all when she was training. How important are role models like Misty in encouraging other young dancers of colour? Essential. It really is essential. If we're going to change the status quo and understand that actually this is not an exclusive world that we live in, then it's important to see these role models in action. But it's also important to hear that they are ordinary people. And, you know, that that's the thing as well. They haven't been, they, did, they weren't born in, with that, all of that talent and development. They've grown into that and they've developed that. So it's possible for anyone else that's living as your neighbour down the road, you know, your locality, the people in your locality, can actually become this this artist, become something. And yeah, the visibility now is is it's in it's integral. If we're expecting change, then they've got to be in the room. And do you think the landscape is changing? Are young black Asian and um, black and Asian dancers now able to level and up in a way that they we couldn't have done in the past? I think that there is the talk, genuinely, there is the talk. And I think I sit here as a Chief Executive Principal of the school that actually it primarily it used to be black and Asian and now it's completely the other way. So when you think about what's happened and what's changing, um, my duty here now is to demonstrate and to show that actually we can have an equal part in terms of what's who comes into the school. Um, there is appetite, appetite for it, definitely. So I think in terms of the change, it will take time because we've got to convince people that this isn't just for now, this isn't just a, a case of a rhetoric that we're, we're replicating. We actually are wanting you to come in and become these amazing, amazing artists. So it'll take a few years, but I think building the trust is essential. Absolutely. You talk about trust, you know, ballet uh, can be seen as a, a middle class kind of art. And, you know, we're very passionate around gender equality, but equally social mobility. Um, how is it that, you know, it's hard for lots of working class kids to imagine that they can get into ballet? You know, how do we break down the barriers, break through limbo under them? Um, I know that's a terrible dance move for me to mention there. Sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's a challenge. So many sectors out there are trying to overcome. How are you going? to you know you are a trailblazer but how how can we make a make a move of this in the dance and the culture of dance i think there is um it's interesting you talk about the barriers because they're real they are absolutely real and when we talk about education 
we understand that you know there is that question and the challenge of those that um, families and and young people that do not have the um, the finances to be able to go to educate to go into educational training. So it's important that we try and remove those barriers. Um, and I think those barriers are you know sometimes it's lived experiences. Sometimes it is about the trust. Um, the financial challenges that I think some of these families might face around sending a young person into higher education is, is an area that we're actually looking into right now and seeing we've got the challenge of the government talking about the funding scenarios to HEs. And actually, we do need to tell them that it's not it's not it's not as equal as they assume it to be, that we do need to be we do need to question and our ability to be able to move those barriers. So, for example, even charging for auditions. It, it's not essential. You don't have to do that. And now, I mean, Zoom has shown us that we can actually audition online. We're not saying we can make you a dancer online, but we can definitely audition you to understand your skills and have those conversations. So removing some of those barriers, but also even having someone audition online, have they got access to the digital? Have they got access to the platform? Have they got the space? So how do we manage to do that? And not everyone fits the box. So we have to find other ways of making sure that we connect and communicate. I think that creativity is key, isn't it? And I think if that's one thing that the the pandemic and lockdown has taught, taught us is that is you don't have to travel the length and breadth of the country, and, and that comes with cost as well, doesn't it? You know that you know that it's not it's not cheap to sort of commit yourself to be up at an audition, especially if you've got to be there for a whole weekend or a few days or something like that. It's that cost that goes with it, you know. Um, yeah, and just I mean, I think to, for us to be the only vocational dance school in the north of England, we're attractive. And I would love to think that, you know, anything outside of the M25 is for us to have. And, you know, even those that are in in London come to Leeds in the sense that we have got the opportunities to, to produce amazing artists, but also the quality of life that you get here. The cost of living is different. And there's something quite special about not having to deal with the rat race of London. So come on up north and we can help you to build your career, build your futures and the finances for that. You don't often send your young people out on their own in that sense. So it's you plus another person plus another. And it's, you know, the costs start to escalate. So how do we get rid of some of that cost? I think, and you know, I think you're so right. I always, I'm always a big fan of accelerating and amplifying from the north. You know, not everything has to be the other end of the, the country. So I think the more that we can lead and influence and, you know, make that change appear, let you say, the north, the north is an amazing place. It's rich in culture, music, theatre, art, dance. How important is it that we continue to invest in that culture in the north? And I know people will out there will say, what about the hospitals? But why, why is it so important, the arts? I'll just give you a little antidote that I had. I was part on a training course and I remember being asked this question around what about the hospitals? And, and I said, well, wouldn't it be great if whoever had, you know, just a scenario, someone's had an operation and they wake up and they see some beautiful art in their room. Wouldn't that make them feel better? But you're not going to get beautiful art unless you invest in it. And actually, there is a knock-on effect, and that's in its simplest, simplest form that you can actually impact. But I do think if we don't invest in culture, we're not investing in people, and that's primarily who we are. The person comes first, and we need culture to make us who we are. So, yeah, let's not fight with the, with the needs for the hospitals. We know that is essential. Or the need for transport, we know also that is essential. But us as people, when you centre the person first, you understand that actually you can't do that without giving them culture. 
Absolutely. I think that's why I'm always so passionate. We talk an awful lot about STEM, but, you know, it's actually, it's got to be STEAM, right? With A for oh. Arts in there, it's so massively important to, exactly, it's the, it's it's less about that um, that infrastructure. We talk about a lot about the North, about infrastructure of trains, and that, well, actually, what about the people? We need yeah. this for our people. It makes us who we are. It really does. And I think, you know, if you can see it, you can smell it, you can taste it, you can see it, you know, you can hear it. There's all of these that makes up the human. And actually, some of these problems that we're facing, and I'm not trying to simplify the challenge that we have, but actually, if you took take care of the whole person, you take care of a lot of those problems. You take care of some of the inequalities because people have an understanding and an empathy around what that could be and how that can happen. You take a lot, you, you engage with people in a level that actually is about them. It's not about a hierarchy of culture or art. And actually, you're also respecting people, which means that your culture is as important as mine. So when we start to look at levelling up, these are the things that I think you bring into the room and you make sure that they actually are present within the people and the situation that you're dealing with. We can do a lot with culture. 100% 100% and you you are such a vibrant role model not not just having your MBE in your your DL your deputy lieutenant and but and one of the first women in an all black phoenix dance company but you know there's not many other black leaders in your position in the whole of the country so where did you find the courage to be that outlier and level up <laughs> I, oh my goodness, that is a really interesting question, Simone. I don't know if I have a direct answer, but I, I guess in a way I believe in my form, I believe in the work that I do, and I believe in myself. Um, and others believe in me and I believe in others. So in a way, there is a collective, I'm, I'm the, vo- the voice of a collective need. And because of that, I feel the responsibility to take that forward and a confidence, I guess. Not everyone has the confidence to step into those spaces. So very often you'll find that, you know, I can bring somebody with me so that we can bounce off each other or I can be the support mechanism for someone stepping forward. And as subtle as it might sound, it actually can be the thing that changes the life. So I, you know, different ways in which not everybody responds in the same way and building confidence. Not everybody does that again in the same way, but understanding where your need can be utilized is is something that I guess has really helped me. And I'm proud that I am the only one, but I'm not great. It's not a great thing to be the only one doing something. So let's get some more people in these positions that I'm in. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think sometimes it's sometimes you think it's just those small little things, those small things. But the sum of all those parts can be something really powerful. And, you know, you've worked so hard um, and continue to to work so hard. Um, How do you use your power for good and how do you use your platform to help others? I love what I do. I really do. And I think if I the moment I lose that passion is probably the time to step away. Because I think even just having a conversation and I'm having plenty of them in my office now where I'm just asking, well, what is your what is it that you'd like to do next? Never mind about five, 10, 15 years from now. What would you like to do next? And if I can interject anything of myself within that conversation, then I'm going to do so. Because I think if it just steers someone or gives someone a different lens to look through to see, ah, that's actually really possible. And then, you know, it's literally very small things that I think can change someone's life. So I continue to do that. I continue to mentor. And I found, you know, this last 18 months and actually the last 15 months being in this role, the amount of platforms that I've said, yeah, I will I will speak because I think it's important that I'm heard. And it's important that you take me as the person, as the black female standing here, as well as my words into the next conversation. So I have to put myself in those spaces. Otherwise, I don't believe I'm being true to what I believe my passion and my beliefs are. 
Absolutely. And it is that responsibility, isn't it? It is that power, that responsibility, that agency that you have that makes you such a phenomenal, a multi-award winning uh, role model. Sharon, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I feel like we've covered a whole lot of ground um, without even getting on a train. And in a true Northern Power Women style, you are literally just cracking on and being that visible role model and enabling others to to be part of the, the community and be part of this space so thank you so much for joining us today Sharon thank you so much for having me and thanks to all of you for tuning in today please do tell your friends about our podcast reach out to us on socials at North Power Women on Twitter and Northern Power Women on all our other social media drop us a line leave us a review podcast at northernpowerwomen.com my name is Simone Roche and you've been listening to the Northern Power Women podcast a what goes on media production